You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. It's so good to be here. Uh, as Hannah said, I lead the team that leads the church in Cambridge. Um, I'm 40, like a number of people my age, and uh, that's, that's my one joke. <laughs> now it gets serious. Um, my wife was with us in the first service, and uh, although I lead a church in Cambridge, I didn't go to Cambridge. Um, I went to art college, and I had to marry into the intelligentsia. Um, my wife uh, has a PhD in neuroscience and works, worked for Cambridge University until we had children, two little boys, and uh, they're a miraculous provision from God because my wife's got a brain tumor, which means she can't have children. So uh, the fact that we've got these kids is absolutely amazing. And um, we know God's provision on us. And uh, from um, an hour down the road, we are cheering you guys on. We are cheering you on. I sort of, the more uh, I get to know churches and the more I read the Bible, the more I can resonate with Paul when every now and then he says, ever since I first heard about you, I've been praying for you. I've been celebrating ever since I heard about this, that, and the other part of what you're doing. And I feel the same. Like a a goldfish in water, you guys probably don't know very much about the environment you're in because you don't know any different. But um, as an outsider coming in, I just want to reflect to you what I see. And what I see is a hunger for God. There's a really brilliant atmosphere last night with the men. Such humility and vulnerability and openness. And uh, we were served so well. Really wonderful food. People taking time to cook that and to serve it and to tidy up. And uh, just looking around... This morning we arrived and the boys wanted to see where the children's work was going to be. So uh, someone showed us, took us down there and said, fill out this form and here's where the kids will meet and showed them and met them, took them to the teachers. I've really helped my children to participate in what was happening this morning. And um, I look around. I mean, great, great worship. Really brilliant musicianship. As a wannabe musician myself, I appreciated the sound band working together but obviously way more important than that was the the focus was on God now to be a brilliant musician and still get people to look to God is the perfect combination and has done great hosting and look around I see like a quite a range of ethnicities and age you know what I wouldn't give for some 60 pluses in my church, and um, we've got two or three, and they have the red carpet treatment. Uh, But really, I mean, children milling about, all sorts of different colors of hair. I'm starting to go gray at the side here. And uh, it's just fabulous. And I hear amazing things are happening. We're going to be talking a bit about that later. But I... You know when um, God writes to the churches in Revelation, and it's just like a sucker punch, isn't it? It's like, you're, you're a great church, Hope Church. You've, got, you've done this, and you've done that, and you've done the other, but I have this against you, right? So 
I have this against you, which is that Len South, who's one of your elders, used to be my youth leader, okay? (laughs) Now, the situation was that I grew up as a missionary kid in West Africa before the internet, before Sky Television, in a really isolated, Christianized subculture where every uh, white person I knew was a missionary who was there being a missionary, and uh, I went to a school where all the other kids were missionary children being looked after by missionaries, and so I came from that tiny little bubble back to the UK when I was 11, 1989, and Len was my youth leader, and so it was, you know what it's like at that age, you just want, you, you want to be cool, okay, you want to have the right shoes and the right jeans and the right, it needs to be right, and I had no idea what was what was what. So I was looking to my youth leader for guidance. <laughs> and so Len is my youth leader. He must be cool. Uh, just that follows as far as I'm concerned. And so I didn't know what was cool. And I was looking to Len to see what was cool. And I thought, whatever Len has got in his CD player, that must be cool. <laughs> so I looked at his CD player and it was Enya. <laughs> and so... Knowing no different, I took that to be cool. So my disastrous teenage years are Len's fault. (laughs) And the fact that you give him any kind of respect or position (laughs) baffles me. We're going to be talking about God's great expectations for us. God has great expectations for us. Us. You might have great expectations for him, but he has great expectations for you. I love that little uh, contribution that came this morning about the father putting his hand into the car saying, Your Majesty. Great expectations. But I'm not here to entertain you, and uh, there's nothing I can do to make you obey God. I can be faithful to what I think God's putting on my heart. But I can even try to be a good preacher. But that's all for nothing if you're not a good listener. If you're not fertile ground to receive what's coming. If you've come here because on autopilot, Hope Church is where you end up on a Sunday morning, I hope you can go out of that gear into the next gear that actually you're here by faith because you believe in a God who speaks. And whatever fool is up here, and God can speak through a donkey, we can hear from God. And I don't want to diminish myself, so I believe in the gift of preaching and proclaiming the word of God, and I believe by the Holy Spirit he will do things this morning. But it's him that's doing it, isn't it? And um, we have to receive it. When Jesus said to the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, you know, I've done all the things and now I want to know what else I must do. And Jesus looks right into his heart and says, there's the idol in your heart. You need to give away all your money. The rich young ruler says, I don't fancy that and walks away. You'd expect Jesus to say, sorry, you misunderstood me. Let me try again. Um, he doesn't soften it. He doesn't pursue He said, you asked a question, I gave an answer, what are you going to do? 
What you're going to do is, is up to us. I utterly, utterly believe in the sovereignty of God and uh, delight in it. It brings me joy and hope. But my, the sort of closest I can come to trying to make the sovereignty of God and our responsibility visual is to think of a child who's trying to learn to walk. When you have a child that's trying to learn to walk, you get the situation where the parent is kind of bent over with their hands making a human zimmer frame, and the uh, child is clinging onto those fingers, trying to take these steps. And in that moment is the sovereignty of God. Without the parent, the child could not walk. Without the child wanting to and trying to walk, the child couldn't walk. So who's doing it? It's totally of the parent because the parent is making it happen. But it's totally of the child because the child is doing it. And it's a bit like that with the sovereignty of God, I think. We both participate. He is the parent, but we both participate. And um, so I want us to come this morning with that in our hearts, that we play a part, even if it's listening, by faith and responding by faith and saying, what does that mean for me? What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? So we'll be briefly looking at Ephesians 4. Let's turn there. If you've been in New Frontiers for more than five minutes, your Bible automatically opens at Ephesians 4. It's famous because of the. Um, it's famous in our circles because um, we really believe in the fivefold ministry that it talks about: the apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists being gift, gifts to the church and their continuing availability to us. But um, I want to focus on why that is. So Ephesians four verse eleven. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Let's just stop there for a second. Because of the way the church has functioned in history, we, we can accidentally sleepwalk into a misunderstanding about what's happening. And to think there's kind of an unwritten contract between us, the congregation, and them, the professionals, where we, the congregation, pay them, the professionals, to do the works of service. Not only is that not right, it's the opposite of what's right. Because the Bible says that these gifts are given to equip the saints to do the works of service. So if Tom in all his gifting, if the only fruit of his gifting is that he is doing the works of service, he hasn't been obedient to his call. Uh, now, this isn't talking specifically about eldership, but it is talking about the gifts that God gave to the church. So that's just an example that uh, struck me. We had a very famous prophetic person come to City Church and do a two-day conference, and it was really, really fabulous. And this person has got probably the most accurate prophetic gift I've ever seen. And uh, so they prophesied over people, and those people's lives were impacted. And it was great. A few years later, we asked a different prophetic person, Angela Kem, 
And we said, Angela, come and do a prophetic conference with us. And so for two days, she came. When Angela came, she didn't prophesy once. You get a prophetic person to come for two days, and they don't prophesy once. But every single person who attended prophesied. That's the difference. That's in Ephesians 4. Her gift of prophecy is to equip us to prophesy. And obviously she has a prophetic gift as well. But in that moment, there was a training opportunity and she equipped the saints to do works of service. So what I want us to realize is that we have works of service to do. We're not here cheering on the elders. The elders have made this decision. The elders are doing that. The elders are out there. We are the church together. And we have works of service for which we need to be equipped. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The reason where these gifts are given are to equip us to do works of service so that we do these works of service, grow mature, and become united. So unity, growing unity, is one of the reasons we're being equipped. It's really important to know that. The more mature you are in your gift, the better you play with others. I don't know if you ever have that report card that says, doesn't play well with others. And sometimes you find it with gifted people that they're, you're sort of on the one hand, they're very, very gifted. On the other hand, they don't play well with others. Actually, that's a sign of an immaturity in that gift. Because the more mature you are in that gift, the more united we become with others. That's the trajectory. So you ought to be able to have 20 world-class worship leaders in this church and not feel this town is too small for the 20 of us. They should be serving one another, championing one another, loving one another. The better they get, the more they mature, the more they work together. Same with prophets, the same with people who are radically generous. It's funny how we, there are certain gifts that we really talk about and we encourage them. We say, let's all get the prophets together and um, encourage them and spur them on. I knew a church leader who had the nerve to say, uh, give me the top 20 people who are generous in this church. And he, took, he took that, got them together and he said, you guys apparently are the most generous people in this church. Let's be more generous. We don't tend to do that, do we? Sort of single out certain things. But... Um, Actually, we need it all. We, need to be, we all need to be growing in it. And it goes on, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow 
in the ESV, which I'm more familiar with, it says we will grow up, which I quite like. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part plays, does its work. So growing unity and growing jointness is a sign of our maturity, growing maturity. So um, community is both the way we become mature and the reason why we need to become mature. It's the way we become mature because, on the one hand, there are those people who encourage us and spur us on and inspire us, champion us, pray for us, admonish us. And on the other hand, there are those people who grind our gears and disappoint us and let us down and get on our nerves. And both of those people help us to become mature. And... They are the reason we need to become mature. Because if there are people here who really, really don't bless you, you're going to need maturity to help them and to bless them. So that's really critically important. Now, I was thinking about the nature of different relationships. If you take the relationship between a a father and a son, let's say, and I think I've got a little slide here that uh, has got a few arrows on it. With a parent and child, the trajectory should be that over time, you become, they become less and less dependent on you. Agreed? So at, at the sort of two-month mark, I was feeding my boys and changing their nappies and putting them to bed and getting them dressed and um, doing everything for them. They couldn't really do very much for themselves. And if that's still happening on their 40th birthday... I haven't done my job properly. So, you could, obviously you continue to love them, but success is getting them to stand on their own feet, isn't it? With a married couple, it's slightly different. So with a married couple, actually the aim is to become ever more interdependent, ever more intimate, ever more open and loving, and sacrificial, ever more united. So I, I, it's been my experience that with m- me and my wife, I sort of thought like day one of being married would be, well, I look back now and I think, wow, we didn't really know each other. I mean, we got so close that we decided to get married on the one hand. On the other hand, I know her so well now that I look back on that first day and think, who was that person I married? What was I? The, the growing intimacy, the growing relationship, the growing shared memories. And I think church, from what it seems to be saying here in Ephesians, needs to be more like the second one. As these gifts are given to you and are, you're equipped, you will become increasingly united to attaining maturity, increasingly joined, supporting ligaments with one another. Are you guys up for that? And it's really clear, it's important to be clear in your mind that maturity doesn't mean I'm out of here. Now, if you get sent by God who sends people, that's one thing. 
But if you go because you don't play well with others, that's, that's a sign of immaturity. Actually, what we want is increasing unity. I just also want to look at um, Hebrews, because you can, in Hebrews 5, you can really feel the frustration. Hebrews 5, 11. God has great expectations for us, that we should go on to maturity. That's why the gifts were given. Here again in Ephesians, in Hebrews it says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard. It's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary teachings of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The gifts that God has given to the church play a part in bringing you to maturity. The preaching plays a part in bringing you to maturity. But it says here that they've come to maturity by constant use and have trained themselves. It's like that child learning to walk, isn't it? You learn to walk by learning to walk. You learn to walk by doing it, by, by putting in the effort. And it's impossible without God's sovereign intervention. But he is there for you. He is the Father above you, walking with you. You can hear the frustration in Hebrews. And just to be really clear, growing old happens automatically. But growing mature doesn't. Tomorrow you will wake up older. You may not wake up more mature. As we've been exploring it at City Church, we've had, I've had the sort of privilege and joy of sitting with couples in their 60s and 70s who are really tearful that they aren't more mature. They sort of look back on squandered years. Now, the joy of it is that wherever you are, you can begin to mature from this point. And uh, God's grace is on us. There are people, I imagine, and I don't know you, so I can get away with it, that there are older people here who aren't very mature. But there are also older people here who are very mature. And they are the secret weapon of the church. If you could have like a top trumps, and uh, is that still a relevant pop culture reference? (laughs) Not for 30 years. (laughs) Okay, Tom's, Tom's a good leader. So on the top trumps card, he'd have a high leader scoring. But he's not very old, so he'd have a low age scoring. There are some people here who have had 60, 70 years of walking with God, making mistakes, picking themselves up, living with regret, living with tragedy, working it out. And that's like a treasure trove within the church that we need to draw upon. We need to call it down. They need to be open and vulnerable and available. So don't retire to your castle but we, the younger ones, 
I'm obviously younger, need to be humble enough to draw it out and to call upon it and to stop thinking we've got all the answers. We might know how to use an iPad, but we don't know what it's like to lose a child. We had a situation a couple of Easter's ago where on Good Friday, a couple in our church went to pick up their middle-aged daughter to bring her to the Good Friday service, and she didn't answer the door. So they called the police, who knocked the door down and found her dead in her flat on Good Friday. Now that couple, I can preach on loss, I can preach on endurance, but they can they can do whatever needs doing from an utterly different perspective. And whenever there's tragedy in the church, they have a wealth of personal experience which transcends reading. And you guys have got it within you. There are people here who have that. So let's just briefly look at the signs and reasons for maturity and immaturity. Immaturity, some of the signs might be um, selfishness. Anyone with children can see that uh, you can have a toy in the toy box for a, a year that no one wants to play with, but the instant one of them wants to play with it, the other one will punch his face in to try and get it. And uh, the difference between adults and children is that adults have got more experience of being selfish. They've got more guile, and we can be more sophisticated about our selfishness if we're not careful. It's a sign of immaturity to want our own way. And it's actually doesn't really ultimately make sense if you believe and trust in God, whose way we want. Blaming others can be a sign of immaturity. Getting stuck on some of these things, getting stuck in hurt. This is really important because this happens to everyone. Everyone will have hard times. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. So uh, not having trouble is not an option. It's what happens. And what happens is you go through a particular process, and it's pretty well understood what this process is. Um, So if we take a really serious, dramatic situation, for instance, like you find that your phone doesn't have any battery. (laughs) you, You reach into your pocket and you pull it out. Oh, I don't believe it. Sometimes we literally say that, don't we? I don't believe it. The first stage is denial. When you see the goal go in against your team, no, you instinctively say denial. And then you blame others. Oh, my sons, I plugged that in. They must have pulled it out. And then you blame yourself. No, I'm the adult. I should have, I should have made sure it was plugged in. And then... Uh, Acceptance. Okay, I need to charge it. It's not the end of the world. If you're going through a relatively low-level trauma like that, you go through those phases really quickly, almost in seconds. But what can happen is that we get stuck. Hope Church is growing, and they're moving, hopefully, to a new venue. And I know that when they move to that new venue, they will ask me to become an elder. Oh, They didn't ask me to become an elder. I can't believe it. 
40 years past. How come you never grew over those last 40 years? Because I thought I was going to become an elder, and they didn't ask me. Didn't that happen 40 years ago? Yeah, I still can't believe it. That's the problem. (laughs) We can get stuck, can't we? That ministry leader stepped down. I thought I was going to lead it. The denial, or just the blaming others. I thought, I thought when we moved to Ipswich, this will happen. But it never really happened. And my wife is the reason that didn't happen. And we never get past it. And even if it's genuine, even if it's you were genuinely mistreated, which does happen, because Tom, I mean, Tom's more perfect than I am, but he's still not perfect. Tom will definitely make mistakes. When he makes one of those mistakes, one of you will get hurt by it. And you'll be within your rights to get hurt by it. But you will not be within your rights to not forgive him. Does that make sense? Sometimes these things that have happened to us are genuinely tragic. But that doesn't mean you can stay there. And if you're feeling stuck, please talk to someone. I mean, I was, I was saying to the guys last night that there was a situation in my life 12, 13 years ago that has crippled me with fear and shame. Fear because I thought it would come in, out and people would know about it, and shame because it ever happened. That I t- spoke to my elders about just this week, and I just feel liberated. And, um, you know, it's kind of weird because... It happened a long time ago. We talked about it. We forgave each other. We went on. But I have been in a prison of my own building for that whole time for no reason. That's, that is satanic. That is, fear has no place. And so I just feel born again, again. And I, I was not stuck on lots of things, but in this area I was stuck. And some of you will be stuck Some of you will be stuck at denial, you'll be stuck at hurt, you'll be stuck at blaming others, you'll be stuck at blaming yourself, which is actually where I was. Talk to someone. He has come to proclaim freedom for the captives. Poor decision-making, not feeding ourselves, not being teachable. At City Church, we, we ask for people to be fat. And as you see, I lead by example. Fat, F-A-T, faithful, available, teachable. However gifted you are, or not gifted, if you're faithful, if you're available, if you're teachable, we can build. You guys can do that. All of you can do it. Some of you will have ten talents, some of you will have two talents, but if you're all fat, you can build. There's a lovely couple in our church who have been headhunted against God's will, by Steph Liston (laughs) to go to Camden. Now, this couple are absolutely brilliant. They have led about 40 Alpha courses in their life, but every time they lead an Alpha course, they do the training, and they sit there, and they listen to Nikki Gumbel's talk for the 40th time, and I can remember once saying to them, don't you ever get bored of this? And they said to me, we learn something new every time. Isn't that wonderful? That is teachable. They could say, I understood it the first time I heard it. But 40 times later, they have said, I am going to learn something. And they do. And they're so easy to work with. They're so, so lovely. Now, some of the reasons we become mature is because of our bad start, our bad birth, 
Maybe the way you were brought to Christ wasn't as helpful as it might have been. We use some funny phrases when we're trying to bring people to Christ, like, just invite God into your heart, which uh, isn't a phrase you'll find in the Bible. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong, and if that's how you came to faith, I'm not saying you're not saved, but if you were taught that and nothing else, that would be a bad birth. Or maybe you did a brilliant alpha course, and then there was just no follow-up ever. You were thrown in the deep end, expected to swim, and you didn't know how to swim. So some of our maturity, might, immaturity might be because of those things or maybe because we're being disobedient to God. Willfully, willfully disobedient to God. And um, the Bible talks about that happening again and again and again, like Jonah. And uh, I've known there have been times in my life where I have been willfully disobedient to God. And uh, it doesn't pan out well for us. God is really faithful But if you're driving with the brakes on, you're not going to go very far. And some of us do that. Or maybe you're just being passively disobedient. Like God says to Abraham, go up on the mountain and sacrifice your son. And 30 years later, Abraham's like, yeah, I know God said that. I probably should get on with that at some point. The Bible says that he went straight up the mountain. So sometimes we can say, oh, I've got book, books and books and books and books full of prophecies that people have given me. Oh, what have you done about it? Nothing. If God is our Father and loves us and speaks to us, surely we should be obedient, apart from the fact that we're told to be obedient. Do you always be asking, what is God saying and what am I going to do about it? The signs of maturity are these, and you guys are going to need maturity I don't know Hope Church Ipswich brilliantly well, but I really love it. I love it already. But what seems to be happening here is incredibly exciting. It seems, from what I can see and what I've heard, that you are growing. It seems that there's fresh momentum. It seems that there has been a really good generation before who have built foundations. It seems that there has been a brilliant transition in the relay box with people running, matching each other's pace and transitioning really well and championing and shouting as relay runners do for the next race. It seems that God is calling you possibly out of this building into a new place. It seems great. And if this church is going to grow and we want it to grow, you guys will have to play your part. The leaders will have to play their part 100%, and you will have to play your part 100%. Because the last thing we want is for the church to be an orphanage. People are being added, but there's no parenting going on. Paul says, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. Maturity is, uh, community is the cause of maturity, but it's also the reason for our maturity. If this church grows, and I believe it will, you're not going to have two people with extra grace required needs. You're going to have a hundred people with extra grace required needs. 
You're going to, not going to have one couple whose marriage is in difficulty. You're going to have 50 couples whose marriage is in difficulty. You're not going to have that one person who keeps making bad choices because they haven't read their Bible. You're going to have 100 people who are going to make bad choices because they haven't read their Bible. And Tom is not the answer. None of the leaders in themselves are the answer. They have a part to play. You have a part to play. Are you guys up for that? Are you up for more problems? We want big church, but way more important is big people. And that takes time. And it isn't glamorous. So, someone like Tom who preaches has a wealth of gifting and a wealth of theological knowledge and an anointing on his, and he's being obedient to God, so in the grace of God, God is bearing fruit. That should also be true of every single person here. You have a call of God on your life. You're either being obedient to it or disobedient to it. You have a wealth of resources within you. You are either sharing those or you're selfishly keeping them to yourself. Now, we need help to unlock them and to play together, and that's a skill in itself. Like you get, this is another out-of-date reference, but you get someone like Thierry Henry, who is a brilliant striker, playing in out-of-position being spotted by someone and saying, that is a brilliant player, but he's out of position. I'm going to bring him to my team and build a team around him, and you will see how good he is. So it doesn't follow that just because someone's gifted, it will work. But if we're gifted and we work together and we play our parts, it will work. And uh, as Christians, we're called to the dual fidelity of the content of the gospel, which must never change, but also the context of the gospel, which is the community. The community is the sermon. We can sometimes think of evangelism, and evangelism is how you want your church to grow, isn't it? You don't just want to bring people out of Anglican churches into our church or into, out of Baptist churches into this church. Is that what you want? We want people to be saved, don't we? Okay, so uh, to see people saved, what I've seen is that someone goes on a street corner with a flip chart and they make a presentation and people get saved. Actually, what the Bible says, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what the Bible says is you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And you should so shine that people see your good works, and worship your Father in heaven. That's how Ipswich will be changed. You shine, that's your job, they worship the Father in heaven. The way Peter says it is, have an answer for those who ask you. Apologists love that. You've got to have an answer. There's a little bit before that, actually, which is the important part. Live such lives that they demand an answer. Having an answer is part B. Part A is live a life that means that Ipswich demands an answer for why that is. We have a situation where my wife uh, works at Cambridge University, worked at Cambridge University at the time, and uh, 
She's a switched on lady and she works in a department with other switched on people. It's a very cool place. It's called the Center for Brain Repair. I love that. I just brought my, my brain in for an MOT. Um, so she was trying over time to try and be clever and to try and come up with some apologetic arguments that would bring people to Christ and some ethical answers that would bring people to Christ. And they were quite polite but also quite dismissive. But then one day, one of her colleagues, who's a PhD doctor and a medical doctor, was getting married to someone, and she said, this guy I'm marrying, do you know what? What he does is outrageous. He gives £10 a month to charity. I'm going to stop that. As soon as we get married, I am going to stop that frivolous use of money. Now, this, is genu- this genuinely happened. And so this conversation began in her little office, which has got two people in it, about whether that was outrageous or whether that was perfectly understandable. And uh, different people joined in. And at some point, someone said to Anna, how do you guys spend your money? So Anna said, this is how much we give. And uh, by the end of that conversation, she said there was about 15 people in her office. World-famous neurobrain surgeons, neuroscientists, funders, researchers. The thing is... They can argue about what she believes, but having heard that story, they can't argue that she believes it. So you do what? What you're doing, how you live. Why do you do that? Well, let me tell you. On the basis of that morning, which was totally spontaneous, one of her colleagues phoned us up and said, I would love to come and sit down with your husband and talk to him all evening about religion. And so I did. She came around. The whole night she was asking me questions. So that is classic. I don't have many glory stories like that, okay? So just so you know, that's that's my one story. But um, (laughs) that's a classic example of the way we lived meant that she had questions. And we had an opportunity to spend time with her. And it also, later on, someone else phoned Anna up and said, actually... I'm in financial need. And so we gave to this person. And that was just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to say, it was almost like, well, she turned to us in her brokenness and asked for help. But it was also a test of, well, you say you believe it, but do you really believe it? And um, that is going to bring people into the kingdom. You need Adrian Holloway. You need Alpha. But Alpha is a community dressed up as an apologetics course. People come thinking they're going to ask their questions. What happens is they see a community. That community has an impact on them. What I found is people from all walks of life and all different levels of intelligence come to an alpha course. You let them ask their questions for three or four weeks. By week 12, they do not want to be split up. You say, right, alpha course has come to an end. You need to integrate into the church. Well, can we all do it together? Because... I've just been loved. I've seen people washing up for me and serving me food. So even in that situation, it's the community, the context, as much as the content that is preaching. And that's how we're to live. That is how we're to live. You need to open your life to allow others to come with you. So we've been staying with Morris and Rachel. They've graciously... uh, allowed us to stay in their home. And it's just wonderful to see how they live. 
Paul said, you know how I lived when I was amongst you. And we have seen how they live. And this morning over breakfast, Anna and I were just like trying to draw out all the wisdom we could. What do you do about holidays? How many holidays do you have? Where do you go on your holidays? Has it been good? Has it been bad? Has it worked? Are you glad you took those holidays? Was that a waste of money? Would you do it again? Just get as much wisdom from them as you can. I'm sure Morris is a great preacher, and I'm sure I could learn from his preaching. But I know he's a great dad, and I've seen that, and I've drawn on it whilst I was with him. Does that make sense? Now, I just happened to mention Morris because that's where we were staying. But any of you could have that impact and must have that impact on other people. And that partly means you've got to open your door, doesn't it? We, we try to talk about overlapping lives at City Church. The, the more overlapping you can possibly be, the better. The more open door you can be, the better. Now, you can't do that with 100 people, but you can do that with a couple of people. My wife is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. And I said to Tom, coming here, my wife's an introvert, so if we stay with a nightingale, she might actually, by the time... Actually, she had a busy day because we had a ladies' breakfast. Then we had a kid's birthday party. Then we spent the afternoon with Tom. Uh, so I said, I warned, and I said, Anna's probably going to just go and lock her door. Is that all right? Yeah, it is all right. But my wife, as an introvert, can still grow to maturity as an introvert and within her preference. So our psychometric tests, introvert, extrovert, are their preferences. I prefer to extrovert, but if I need to be quiet, I can choose to be quiet. My wife prefers introversion, but if she needs to, she can choose to extrovert. This Monday, she she organized the whole row of houses that we live on, six houses, six or seven houses in our terrace, who all have children under five, as we do, to have an Easter egg hunt going through every single person's garden ending at our garden for tea. And um, it being Cambridge, everybody was showing off and trying to make their part of the Easter egg better than the other person's. <laughs> and so it was really, really good. But they loved it. All the people in our street loved it. I, th- I honestly think there's, there's, what, five couples there, and uh, more than half of them have PhDs. And uh, we, we don't even live in Cambridge. We live outside of Cambridge. There was so much joy at being together and loving one another and doing this. And they were so excited. Nana said, maybe we should have a barbecue. Yes, they all said, yes, 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 yes. Now, the only thing missing from that opportunity was if if I had invited some church friends to come along with us and said, look, this is how we do mission. If I could have taken some people and shown them, had a transparent life and invited them in to see us doing it, then that would have really been overlapping lives, wouldn't it? And we need to raise others, take responsibility for ourselves, be fruitful, see the fruit of the Spirit. You are going to grow. Do you believe that? You're going to grow in numbers, but you also need to grow in stature. You need to grow in maturity. You need to pay the price as much as the elders are paying the price and any leader is paying the price. We don't come to consume we come to contribute for the, for, the, for the good of the city so that you can say like they did in Acts and there was much joy in that city.
You need to pray for the elders. You need to give them the benefit of the doubt. You need to support them. You need to shape them and challenge them. But you need to do that encouragingly, with joy. It'd be for your good. And I believe you'll be really, really fruitful. But if what you're attracting people to is a seat in an auditorium, that isn't going to see the kingdom advance. You need to invite them into your lives. Father, I pray that you would help us grow. We wouldn't just grow old. We would grow mature. We would pursue your word and love it. We would depend upon your Holy Spirit. We would delight in you. I pray Ipswich would be transformed. Your word never goes out without bearing fruit. I pray for this move in the future that your hand of blessing would be on it. Lord, I pray that there would be a harvest. The harvest is ripe. Pray for workers. I pray that this church, this loving family, would be those workers and bring the harvest in. I pray for older people here, Lord, that they would pour out their lives. They would make room at their table for younger people to learn from them. I pray for people here who get stuck, have got stuck. Lord, I pray you give them courage to open their mouths and open their hearts and talk to someone. I pray that forgiveness would rise up. I pray that people would choose forgiveness. I pray people would choose unity. As we grow up, we grow together. I pray that would all be for your glory, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.